back. Thank you for joining us today. We have some special, special guests. Uh, we took a break for about a month and for good reason. Um, there's vacation, there's just summer, and there's just like you get tired. So thank you for coming back to the next stop is the best stop where we're all about how to make your next stop your best stop. And our topic today is really a transit free for all. We've got about four transit geeks uh, you know, on our show today. I'm gonna introduce two of them. I'm one of them and our regular co-host, uh, Jason. We're online today to just give you an idea of what we've all experienced in our transit careers and any wisdom we want to impart on uh, our audience, you know, how to think about transit, how is it implemented, what are the obstacles, what are the frustrations, and what we could possibly look forward to uh, in the future when it concerns transiting in the United States. So let me start off by introducing our first guest, Bakari Height. Uh, Bakari is a native of Jessup, Georgia. Yay, Jessup. Uh, and also a graduate of both Georgia State University and Georgia Tech. Uh, he's held many transit positions, but his most notable position is being the co-founder of the MARTA Army. And you may ask, what is the MARTA Army? The MARTA Army is a grassroots organization committed to helping MARTA improve ridership experience. They propose to perform service, social, cultural, and technological interventions to engage and inspire current and potential MARTA riders. That's just a snippet of what the MARTA Army uh, is about. Uh, I know when I worked at MARTA, the MARTA Army was a great resource for those that wanted to know more about MARTA and how it operates and what are the things that can be uh, done better. So our second guest uh, is Jarrell Leonard. Jarrell is an Alabama native and also a UAB and Auburn alum. He has been a planner in different capacities all over the country, uh, currently working as a trans, a regional transit manager in Charlotte. And I forgot to mention that Bakari is currently uh, a transit organi organizer. So Jason and I hope that we can bring these two special guests to you today to talk more about transit. So if you love transit, this is the uh, episode for you. How was transit about? How can we make it better? What's been our experience? And what can we look forward to in the future? So let's take it away. Who wants to get started? Bakari, Jason, or Jarrell? What do you want to talk about with transit? I think Bakari probably the best to start because Bakari, you know you have some ideas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep, Take out everything and start from scratch. Let's let's <laughs> let's think about that first. But no, like um, yeah, I, I'm absolutely in love with transit. Like that's been my passion. Like my original passion is transportation. But once I moved to Atlanta back in 2009, I was so enamored with all the transit they had, and you know, especially from growing up in South Georgia, where like the closest city we had was Savannah, so I only saw buses there. But that was it. I hadn't. I didn't see trains. I didn't see paratransit. I didn't see all these different connections between point A to point B. So, you know, I've always been fascinated. I joined a lot of transit advocacy groups that were trying to advocate for better transit. And that's just kind of how I learned and got into the whole other side of transportation that people don't really talk about. You know, there's the planners, you know, the people at MARTA, the people at the ARC, and people at all these different organizations. But you don't ever see about the people that make a living on trying to make transit better from the outside and mm -hmm. 
it's been really rewarding and you know i found a lot of communities especially nationwide um, the transit organizing that i do is actually for um, a group called the transit equity network and it's through this nonprofit known as labor network for sustainability and we work on trying to connect labor unions with every sustainable practice possible so i work on the transit side trying to get transit unions to um, invest into ev technology and also to you know tell us what they want tell us what's going on because a lot of people don't realize that a lot of the union members for transit are the the eyes and the ears of the whole system the mm -hmm. operators the folks that are working um in janitorial the, the folks that are you know working on maintenance and operations they're the eyes and the ears of this whole system they know it better than anybody else and you know their information is valuable so we want to be able to make sure they're ahead of the curve and that we're also making sure that they're protected as far as you know bargaining agreements and uh, everything from uh, worker protections. Um, so you know this this past two years have been a huge step up, and especially you know with the Infrastructure Act and all these federal bills coming down the pipeline, we're trying to make sure that these are set you know with the the best foot forward. So you know that's what I'm working with. And, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. That's great. That's great. What about you, awesome. Jarrell? So I'm a native of um, Alabama. I was born in East Alabama, pretty much split my time between East Alabama and Birmingham. Wound up in transit was interesting. I had initially volunteered for the Regional Planning Commission of Greater Birmingham, which is the MPO of Birmingham and worked with them for several months as a volunteer while I was getting pretty much some credits for a course. And then I was referred to the East Alabama Regional Planning Commission, which is the, which houses the MPO for Anniston, Alabama. And I wound up pretty much being, <laughs> pretty much becoming a public transportation project planner without even um, intending on doing that. And I did that for a year went back to Birmingham to finish my uh, program at UAB, kind of bounced around up and down the East Coast throughout the South for a minute, um, and then wound up at Auburn University going to uh, getting my master's in um, planning from there and did a little bit more of that bouncing around again, wound up in Georgia, made some stops back in Birmingham to work for the Regional Planning Commission, but this time as a project planner Douglasville, Georgia, city of Atlanta, worked in the private sector and came to working for the um, MPO here in Charlotte, North Carolina, which uh, pretty much covers both North and South Carolina areas, but it its primary goal is to cover the North Carolina side. The South Carolina side is more uh, peripheral. I manage the grants, the 5303 grants, the 5307 grant is administered through my job responsibilities, but it's managed primarily by the leading transit agency in Charlotte, CATS. Mm -hmm. And I work with the, as I call them uh, personally, parlatricians. You all may call them <laughs> politicians. Um, they love to play the part. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the parlor <I> tricks. <laughs> parlor tricks. I gotta remember that part. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and try to help advance the regional transit conversation. 
um, was a part of the project team for the first uh, 12 county study for both the North Carolina side as well as the South Carolina side of the Charlotte metropolitan area called Connect Beyond. Um, I lead, I, I presented recently at the North Carolina um, Association of MPO, uh, a program basically on section 20, uh, section 5307, how we reallocated the formula program within the area. Mm -hmm. And basically mm -hmm. I've been working on that literally since I got up here. So that's pretty much one of the main things. I'm also working on a couple of the projects like trying to get a work group started here regionally. So it's, it's a lot of things going on, but I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, I'm an active person and I try to balance the bureaucratic side with the political side and try to get the politicians uh, to understand what needs to be done on the ground. So it's a juggle. Mm -hmm. Amen to that. Yeah, Amen absolutely. to that. Yeah. So um, I am just glad we're having this conversation because you know, hopefully, hopefully with the passage of the um, infrastructure uh, law and now the climate action, well, not climate action, but climate bill that I that I really hope that we start to restore confidence in taxpayers about what this money money has been thrown towards and the lasting effects that sustainable transit, sustainable living can have on our country. I don't think people realize that. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, my husband wants to buy another car and I'm like, ah, for me as a transit planner, I'm like, ah, that just goes against everything that I learned in school. I feel like a lot of times car ownership, not only does it has it have implications on the environment, but also Paying a car note keeps you from doing other things, right? Mm -hmm. You can't travel mm -hmm. as much as you want to travel. You can't maybe fix up your house as much as you, or even buy, have a greater buying power for a house, right? Correct. I've always thought that I wanted to live in a city where we could be a one-car household. Now mm -hmm. we're trying to move up to three. Like I, I told him, I said, yeah. we're getting further and further away <laughs> from the <laughs> idealistic <laughs> notion that I had for a family. And that's right. one thing that I wanted to talk about today because I think it's been hitting me hard is when we're in planning school and all three of us have gone and we're taught about planning principles, it sounds delectable, right? It mm. sounds like, hey, whether you've got a family or not, choosing a transit-friendly city can have so many benefits. One mm -hmm. or no car uh, households, uh, you know, being able to be a choice rider, whether you have money or not, right? Uh, being able to... Not a choice writer, I should say, but just being able to confidently make a choice that you don't have to choose a car. Like it's mm -hmm. not yeah. forced upon yeah. you. I guess you that's what to. I should should say right. you, you know what i mean on, a, on an automobile right. It, right i should say instead of a choice yeah. rider a choice driver right mm -hmm. that's the correct. that's the correct term correct. and so i thought that you know i remember when i got pregnant i bought these these strollers that are from england that are made to go on the train and stuff My child, mm -hmm. i can count the number of times i was on the train with that <laughs> stroller because Aww. what is becoming apparent to me is that you know we're taught one thing in school, but then when we get out here in the world and we start making money, we don't make the money that we need to make to live in the communities that we create. And that's really mm -hmm. sad. And then we get so far from this. I, I wouldn't even call it idealistic. We just get far from farther and further from the dream of living car free or close to car free. Uh, we just returned from Denver. And of course, we stayed 
in probably a part of Denver we could probably never afford, but it was right by Union Station, and so we had access to bus transit, light rail, uh, he- not heavy rail, but like commuter rail. It mm-hmm. was wonderful, and it was reliable. All we did was pull up Google. Bus mm-hmm. was there. They told us when the bus was going to be late. It was mm-hmm. fun. I don't even know if I can do that in Atlanta. I think I'm guessing in Atlanta when I'm on the 110. Bless my heart. So I just, it was just <laughs> so much more reliable to be able to do that. And, you know, riding the, the light rail to go to yoga, things like that. I just, I miss that. And I think I'm yeah. going through withdrawal being back here in Atlanta where it's so suburban and yeah. everybody depends on their car. And I think for me, Coming back, it made me realize that perhaps I wasn't, um, I didn't choose the wrong major, right? In college, sometimes being in Atlanta, it makes me feel like, did I choose the wrong path? Because I feel like the opportunities are so few and far between. I mean, we have a lot of opportunities in Atlanta as far as transit planning, but they're the same opportunities for the same projects over and over and over. And you know how yeah. you know how Atlanta is, honey. We will rewash, we re-wince, re-dry everything, okay? <laughs> until, oh, okay. Until there's no yeah. fabric left, okay? So I'm going to just... Tear it and bring it up again. Exactly. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw that out and, and let that be spaghetti on the wall, and you guys take it from where you, where you I, want to. I could chime in on that. So I spent a decade of my career in life um, in Atlanta. Technically, cumulatively, I spent 13 years in Atlanta. And I could sit here and say two corridors that come to mind when you mention that. That's just really wash, rinse, repeat, wash, rinse, repeat. I could probably throw in a third one that'll probably have everybody head spinning because nobody has thought about this one in a while. First one, Clifton Corridor, Ooh, wash, wash, rinse, repeat, <laughs> heavy rail, light rail, now it's a BRT. Gonna be um, a bus. That, that part. <laughs> At the rate it's going, right? At the rate it's going. Yeah. Oh, oh. And then um, Campbellton Road, mm-hmm. light rail, probably gonna wind up being BRT, might even wind up being express bus at the rate it's going. And the Tucker extension, that's one that people mm-hmm. haven't thought about in a long yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been washed rinse to just pretty much shelved. It ain't been repeated, it's just been flat out shelved. It was heavy rail, now nobody wants to touch it with a 10 foot pole because it's like, oh my God, you might go through the, the northern the northern central part of DeKalb County and destroy stuff. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's, it's amusing yet sad how I've seen that in Atlanta and I spent all those years, I became in a lot of ways disenchanted um, Mm -hmm. with working on transit in the state of Georgia, even though I'm in a slightly better state now with North Carolina where I'm seeing some of my work get implemented. Um, It it, it can be disenchanting. Mm -hmm. I, I know, I know you all have as, as, as well as I have spent so many years mm-hmm. of our lives yeah. working so hard to make these plans become beyond just plans, but living documents, but living, breathing entities. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, and I know this is going to be real controversial, what I'm about to say, <laughs> say but it's about to throw everybody in the loop. <laughs> I feel like the city of Atlanta failed on so many things even though it exceeded with creating a black middle class it failed on trying to elevate social equity Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and access and mobility because 
I know Absolutely. Bink. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like Bink a from a... Yeah. Oh, go on. Go on, Jason. Oh, no, no, no. Go. Please, please continue. I, this was the question I was hoping we would get to. So you are you are bowling right down the center. So keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, so I admire Maynard Jackson for doing all the things, including making Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson into the world's busiest airport. Um, I admire him for crystallizing and creating a foundation for the black middle class in the state of Georgia, not just Atlanta, but just the state of Georgia so that it could be a pipeline. I think one of the things that some of his advisors did not tell him when all this was going on, you have to do these ambitious plans while also annexing copious amounts of land to the city. Mm -hmm. Right away preservation. Yep. Exactly. And I'm in a city that did those ambitious plans yes. and they were done by some black people, but it was mostly one person who had a vision. He's a white man and he was the Bank of now Bank of America CEO. His name is Hugh McCall. And they ambitiously annexed land and built a black middle class and built the foundation for the city to pretty much do everything that I saw Atlanta kind of detoured off of. And it kind of makes me sad because Atlanta was down the path of what DC did, but DC, what the reason why DC couldn't do what it wanted to do is because it's landlocked because it's a unique federal district. It's not a state, so it can't expand unless something changed on a federal level. Whereas Atlanta was just, Atlanta just failed on the fact that it did not try to expand and create that equity and control the conversation. MARTA built the backbone of transit, public transportation in Atlanta, but it just kind of stopped. It's like the the ball fell on the floor Mm -hmm. around the late 90s, Mm -hmm. early 2000s. And for the better part of the last two decades, all it's been doing is just talking, talking, talking. I mean, one of the last projects I worked on before I left is what, it was tentatively called the Summer Hill BRT. Now it's just basically a BRT that's supposed to connect Georgia State to the now Georgia State University GSU Stadium. Um, and it's not really going to be much of a BRT. It's going to kind of be a, um, a, a signal prioritization express bus with uh, enhanced shelters. And Marta's been just trying to wash, rinse, repeat that. And that's the textbook example of something that just started ambitious and it wound up being something not even implemented. And it's a it's a federal discretionary grant. It was a Tiger grant. And mm-hmm. those of us in the transportation world know Tiger grants have been out of out of utilization as a term for almost four years now. And that's forever in the uh, transportation world. And right. you're telling me that you can't get a Tiger grant implemented whereas other peer cities and the fumble bumble in DC with their streetcar is actually utilizing that similar program is already up and running, even though it's jacked up. Cause I've seen the DC streetcar is not very useful. I mean, it's cute. It goes through the nice little neighborhoods, but it's jacked up. But Atlanta public transportation just kind of fell on the floor. And it's like something that small can't even be implemented. I'm just like, wow, what has went wrong? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right, right. Lack of leadership, you know, 
really haven't had a good governor for a long, long, long time. A governor that, you know, wasn't uh, just focused on logistics, wasn't just focused on job creation, really understood social networks need to be supported at the same time that you support capitalism. You can't do one without the other, right? If you don't take care of people, capitalism can't continue. And I think we're seeing that right now. Um, And I think also Atlanta because it's the the cradle of the civil rights movement, um, we have a negative connotation to bus ridership, to transit ridership, right? I believe that that comes from civil rights where they felt like, (laughs) you know, bus Mm -hmm. transportation, you know, that's for black people. You know, that's for people that, you know, don't um, have the means. And when I go to other cities, that connotation, that heaviness is not there, right? Um, And it's so sad that we still have this urban-rural divide in in Georgia, because what I'm from South Georgia too. I'm from Macon, and honey, there ain't nothing to do but leave Macon. That's what you need to do. That is the only <laughs> thing you need to do when you're in Macon is leave. Because the economic mobility is just not there. We have depended on Warner Robins Air Force Base for so long, um, and that is really the only major employer outside of the hospital. So you're either gonna go to war or you're gonna get sick, right? Uh, and that <laughs> is a buckets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you know the medical cop medical center, uh, Central Georgia. You know they're a huge employer but you got to get sick right that's what they depend on perpetually sick people and that's a whole nother conversation you know so I think we just need to uplift all of Georgia Um, and I tell Jason this all the time you know it's easy to institute a rural versus urban politics when your rural areas are two plus hours or more from a city center that's one thing that South Carolina and Alabama have over Georgia is that they have a city center and each rural county is within an hour or an hour and a half away from Montgomery, from Mobile, from Huntsville, from Birmingham. We've got mm-hmm. may, maybe one big city and four mid cities in Georgia. So when you look at all these counties down in Georgia that vote so heavily for people that vote against transit, they have nothing down there. They cannot keep economic development. They cannot recruit businesses. And they don't understand why. They don't understand that education, uh, social networks, transit, uh, health care facilities, all those things matter. And they vote against themselves because they believe this rhetoric of, oh, that's for Atlanta. That's for those people up there. We don't want to be like that. You're not going to be nothing in a couple of years. You know what I'm saying? As people continue to move. As exactly. people continue to mm-hmm. move. We all came from, uh, most of us probably came from small towns. And we had mm-hmm. to leave. We couldn't stay there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I will yeah. sit here and say I will have to slightly push back on that cradle civil rights movement thing. I'm from Birmingham. Well, well, okay, we're going to share that, okay? We're going to share Birmingham, that. Birmingham will say nope. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, he, you know, he was born, you know, over mm-hmm. here. I'm just, we we going to have to share MLK. We're going to have to share him, okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know what, though? That, I think that's a really important thing to think about. It's like, mm-hmm. is this the narrative around the city of Atlanta? In fact, it's so funny that we're talking about this because we've been talking about it amongst our staff as well about mm-hmm. the image that's been created mm-hmm. versus the reality mm-hmm. right so there's this mm-hmm. image of the city of atlanta being this bastion of civil rights and human rights and all of that and so much of that is an outer crust mm-hmm. as soon as you yeah, pull, right. pull that back a little bit what do you find out look at the data the data is starkly in contradiction to that narrative 
and so many of our politicians have participated in perpetuating that kind of narrative without actually looking at substantive ways to actually get us to move towards that vision, right? Mm -hmm. If we're all about this beloved community that Martin Luther King espoused, but then we look at some of the choices that we are making as a region and specifically within the city of Atlanta, it, you know, does it align with that vision? I think that's, you know, we could, it's debatable about whether whether that's really aligned Mm -hmm. with getting us in that direction. And then specifically thinking about transit, it's interesting that I think the way we conceive of things at the beginning has so much bearing on how they ultimately play themselves out over time, right? I think so much of the transit narrative, if you look back in time, was about the city of Atlanta. Once again, it feeds into this narrative around being something other than what it is, which is yeah. that it's supposed to be this this new this this representative of the new south, right? We're moving away from all of that conflict and you know, fraught issues around civil rights and all that. Yet at the same time, we don't want to really address what we need to do to actually move forward. So what we'll do is we'll participate in window dressing. Transit, to some extent, has been part of that. So if you look at a lot of the rhetoric around the creation of MARTA, I think you can see this tension. On one level, you've got a lot of really interesting planning. If you look back at those older documents, you see that there was some really solid planning work going on behind the scenes with ARC. The city of Atlanta actually was leading a lot of that, and MARTA was there to implement And yet on the outside, you have all this other kind of conversation about making the city of Atlanta this this into this entity that's sort of, you know, this shiny city on a hill and we're better than that past that we come from. And Marta gets vacuumed up into that. And then the transit agency, then the transit gets being is being implemented, not so much to provide the connectivity per Mm -hmm. se and the access that people need it's around it ends up being used as a way to drive a the narrative around economic development it's like we don't know what the service looks like we don't even ride it some of those politicians that were talking about that stuff but we just want it because that's what quote unquote it's developed cities have right developed cities have trains we don't know why they have the trains we just want them Right. And, so, and I think that really was mm-hmm. the point. Like, I think that really was the point is that they wanted to create this image. And I think that's why kind of we haven't seen as many uprisings in other cities as we have in Atlanta because there was just this collaborative effort of going of trying to create this happy image of Atlanta. And especially mm-hmm. in the 70s, once we started getting all the big sports teams, and then that's when Marta was starting being built up and you started seeing like all, all of the just the subways and like all the trains just being torn into the ground. It's good for an image, but then culturally, you're looking mm. at Atlanta, a southern city, a sunbelt city. Right. Versus like like going back earlier to Denver. Denver's, it's out west. So, you know, modern light rail systems thrive out west. They have one. Portland has one. Seattle has one. San Diego, Sacramento. That and like a subway like that in Atlanta was new. Like right. no other city had that other than DC, yep. and mm-hmm. you know DC is kind of like the official unofficial part of the South. And then well, like Miami, Miami has Miami one. 
Yeah, and theirs is above ground and theirs was built afterwards. But I think it's yeah. also that point of you're also dealing with another city that has had transit. Like there's uh, a mm-hmm. Latin population down in Miami that um, that already had thrived off of transit, you know, and especially when you're talking about like the informal types of transit that you see on Buford Highway. They live by that. Mm-hmm. Whereas Southerners, we don't see transit as a huge, a huge benefactor of culture and especially of moving not especially especially not like a new york or a philly or a chicago to where it's life like that's Mm -hmm. that's just what you do especially in new york you know there's no other way to get around because it costs so much to drive and to maintain a vehicle there and i think that also goes into it as well is that a lot of the sprawl that was built up in places like atlanta dallas phoenix houston they were built for the car Mm -hmm. they weren't built for transit so that goes into the lack of density the, when we speak on, you know, the expand, the annexation of the city way out to these areas mm-hmm. where it's not conducive to have high capacity transit, mm-hmm. it's difficult and it's difficult to get people to change their minds after it's been built because they already see the negative connotation with people that, why would I ride it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just yeah. this kind of push and pull of, yeah, we want to mm-hmm. be this nice uh, city. We want to be, you know, this glimmering, shining hope in the South. But are we really ready to to give up what that means? And I think they're doing that as far as culture with now Atlanta being an industry city. But it's coming with, you know, the externality of we don't get a lot of infrastructure money for our roads because they get too busy giving tax breaks to all these movie and production companies. Mm -hmm. They're always trying to snag every single big event. Now we're holding the World Cup. What is this going to do to try to expedite any of these a new canopy and redo five points and try yeah. to build up uh, the, the green line all the way out so Microsoft can look pretty. You know, right. They're investing in yeah. all these newcomers, but they're not investing in the folks that really need it, which does go back to social equity. How are we mm-hmm. propelling, especially people on the south side, because Clayton County's waited for a, a C-chair replacement forever. Right. Now we're getting one, but we're not getting the rail that was promised. And Norfolk Southern has this nice, shiny headquarters in the middle of Midtown, a block from GDOT's headquarters. Right. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make sense. Right, right. right. And, that, and once again, like if you look back in time, the irony is is that the state of Georgia had a very elaborate plan for statewide passenger rail. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it, by now we would have had several of those lines in operation had that plan been implemented mm-hmm. as originally envisioned. I mean, some of that work went so far as to begin the procurement process for rail cars from other cities and there was all that was in motion but because of the political machinations that have gone on over the last 20 years Mm -hmm. we backed out of it right and so now Mm -hmm. norfolk southern and this is just some background context that i've discovered over time you know when you're working on these corridors you get a chance to talk to people who work in some of the the um with the freight operators and they'll kind of start talking to you about kind of what the inside conversations have been and what I found is that, and what I've just discovered through conversations off the record is that Norfolk Southern feels burned by mm-hmm. the state of Georgia mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they were ready to form a, a deal with the state to help develop one of these, at least one of those corridors. Mm-hmm. And the state basically screwed them over. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. so. And, and that I mean, same so, thing. Yeah. I was going to say that same mm-hmm. thing actually happened up here in Charlotte, ironically. Mm-hmm that same i'm sorry for interrupting you jason oh no 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 that's that's that same thing that 
off the record conversation with Sid. So apparently when Charlotte got its light rail system, the Lynx, uh, started, there was a red line, and there is still on the books a red mm-hmm. line that's supposed to be used it's in the Southern Corridor. And they and, and with Charlotte being one of the few cities in the South that actually has a, a actual light rail system, Dallas is probably the only other one that actually has a light rail system that acts like regional rail. Mm-hmm. It they were trying to put the red line going due north using that Norfolk Southern, and they had got a written agreement. I saw I've actually seen the written agreement. That same reason of what you just said, somebody has said offline several times that burning that they saw in Georgia when that said person apparently who worked on both the Georgia and the one in North Carolina had either passed away or retired or whatever. They said Norfolk Southern said, nope. (laughs) They were like, we ain't doing this. We ain't doing this Mm -hmm. with nobody. Mm -hmm. And to this present day, just like the Clayton County extension, the red line here is talked about, discussed, bust over, People say stuff, but Norfolk Southern, like, Mm-mm, we're not doing anything. We're just going to look at y'all ass. <laughs> right, right. You know, and it's so crazy because, you know, I really feel like, but, you know, the, the crazy thing is about logistics in all over the country now. You know, the supply chain is so messed up because uh, they don't have enough truck drivers. You know what I mean? Things get stuck mm-hmm. at the port. If they're stuck at the port, then they're stuck at the uh, at the railhead for the railroads that are at the port. You know, so we are all affected by ineffectiveness, by the lack of willpower, the inertia to do something. I, I hope that we are smart enough to elect a governor that has the foresight to see that people if you don't help the bottom of the 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 triangle the top of the triangle is going to fall in eventually you know what i mean well i i'll add on to that conversation since i i gonna reveal this little tidbit my undergraduate degree is kind of weird i started engineering wound up finishing in political science with a almost a double major in social psychology, which is hilarious, and how I wound up that. That'll have to be another conversation. <laughs> um, I re- so with me being in, having that poli-sci background, I agree. You have to have somebody at the top. But I think we also have to get these state legislatures Ooh, to elect more people who support these things. Mm-hmm. I try my best not to be hyper-partisan, but because of the way times are right now, I don't see too many Republicans trying to support fixing social equity. Um, only reason why I'm in a place where social equity kind of is the conversation is because some of them old school Democrats thought about it, but they kind of have phased out where I'm at in North Carolina mm-hmm. now. They're there's similar type of Democrats that are trying to get in power in Georgia. They have the same type of mindset in North Carolina. Um, is you have to get more legislators. You have to yeah. break these veto, veto overriding two thirds majorities in these state legislatures and the gerrymandering. <laughs> Correct, and, and 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 get these get more people who believe in these things because. Even though I think Stacey Abrams stands probably a six in ten chance of winning. Just six in ten? 
Yeah, because it's Georgia, and I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it real with y'all. Keeping it real, I'm right? From, I'm from I'm from Alabama. Everybody was kind of shocked that Doug Jones getting elected in 2017, and strangely enough, I listened to a a, a, a conversation Doug Jones just had a couple of days ago, and he basically sit here and said it, it, it it's an alignment thing. He said when you get people aligned, but it's like in a perfect alignment. It's like Brian Kemp. He has set the table against Stacey Abrams in a weird way mm. that is very hard. I I would I could blow through an hour explaining to you all what Brian Kemp has done, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real with everybody. He played that hand like a thief who knows how to do stuff right, and that's the scary part. Um, it was it, it's like he's done these weird things. And the, and the problem is, even if he lost, he still will win against her because he's made sure they have a damn near veto overriding majority yeah. in the Georgia General Assembly. Yeah. And I've, I'm, in, I'm like right now in some of my offline work, I sit here and explain that to certain political activists. You have to have that veto-proof majority destroyed. Mm -hmm. You have to snatch that from any social equity opposition. Mm -hmm. If you don't, you're always going to be one vote away from them overriding good legislation because they know how to do it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's the sad part. And Stacey Abrams, I think, would be a good thing for Georgia because I'm up here in North Carolina. Roy Cooper has saved North Carolina from a lot of bad legislation. Mm -hmm. A lot. And the Democrats here have been smart enough to break that veto-proof majority in the General Assembly. And they, I think they will keep it because I know Roe v. Wade is a bad thing on everybody's life. It's strangely, it's gonna probably be the reason why Democrats may wind up winning yep. more seats in yep. a lot of places across the country. Yeah. And I it, think this fool on. got six weeks. <laughs> mm -hmm. He implemented six, and he noticed he mm -hmm. real quiet about it. Mm -hmm. He real and quiet about it because he because he knows that he has awoken <laughs> mm -hmm. a sleeping giant. Yes, he has. Yes. And, and 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 that's the type of thing. And and I and I know I crack jokes with some of my political friends offline. I said this ain't nothing but just rummaging around people business, and you ain't got no damn business being in their business. And people are like that's a bad analogy. I said, what do you think that is? You know what they? That's exactly what they doing. I mean, here you and somebody else private. Why mm -hmm. are you in their private? That ain't none of your damn business. What somebody do? Mm -hmm. So it's like um, I sit there and say. He he. This is the thing that I think Kemp is playing the hand of, and I and I and I, I even though I don't live in Georgia anymore, strange enough, I always have people who fill me in on the blanks all the time. Ironically, I'm close close friends and acquaintances with a lot of the activists in Georgia that people, a lot of people who might be listening may know of, and I don't want to say their names not to reveal how, how they know me because they be like wait a minute he know them mm -mm, so mm -hmm. i'm not gonna say their names but um here's the twisted thing about what's going on in georgia that georgians need to be very mindful of when they vote you have to be very mindful of who on the republican tip and what they're not saying yeah. about their mm -hmm. plans because if they 
are able to maintain anything in the General Assembly or any type of constitutional office, which is the statewide offices, they're going to make sure it is 25 years before anything there can move forward. And I'm dead serious. That's how twisted they are. I, I remember working in Douglasville, hearing them say some twisted mess. And these were bureaucrats. Oh, we're going to get to redraw these districts. Mm. I'm like, what mm. the hell? I, I was like, you, I said, you do know we're in a room of bureaucrats, right? And they were like saying that out loud. I was like, okay. And that lets you know. And Douglasville is a majority black city. Mm-hmm. But this was, 20, this was the early 2010s mm. when this yeah. conversation was had. So trust and believe. They will, they will, and Douglasville might be majority black, but they can't get nothing done out there. Like, I was surprised when Douglas County was able to get that, that fixed route bus. I was like, that's the county, because Douglasville is a whole nother conversation. But they have, these people who have gotten voted in office, they have literally forecast a longitudinal 25 year, quarter of a century plan to make sure anything that they do is going to be in place for a quarter of a century. So that's, that's crazy. the one thing. That's crazy. I do want to ask Bakari. I know when I worked at MARTA, the MARTA Army was hot. You know, what? Is the focus of the MARTA Army now, now that MARTA is, I wouldn't say it was in disarray, but I think they're, I don't think they, MARTA knows who they want to be. So how does a grassroots organization help MARTA during the time, in the time that they're in now? Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of things that we work on is we try to work on like showcasing the transit experience. Okay. And through a lot of programs that can really not only tell about planning itself because we try to make a lot of the the projects that we do um easy to learn on layman's terms as, as far as transit so you know the last big project we had was operation bus stop census and essentially mm-hmm. what that was mm-hmm. was we did this whole comprehensive report and research on the lack of equity with amenities at bus stops mm. and this was based off of Stephen higashide's book um better buses better cities mm-hmm. um where he mm. looked at how bus service really affects certain places and they brought up a chapter of where um, a woman was charged with vehicular homicide um, when one of her children was killed crossing Cobb Parkway. So that brought to attention, you know, the the rider experience with taking the bus. What are you having to face with? What what type of highways are you having to cross? Mm And right. is it safe? Is it safe for you? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's you know part of the whole experience of people not wanting to take it because they don't think it's safe. That's they don't, right. They don't. Yeah. They, they don't trust it. They don't trust that you know the schedules will be all realigned. Mm-hmm. And it's just yeah. the psychology. You know, we were talking about earlier what what you know what professions we should have been in. Psychology. Mm-hmm. I think that's one because you really have to get into the psychology of people yep. that want to choose a different a transportation mode. And just yep. kind of looking at that. So we took that project and wanted to build a warehouse on the south side versus the north side of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And it's absolutely different. We mm-hmm. found that there were less than 10 shelters in Clayton County alone. Mm. And oh. they were seeing some of the highest <laughs> bus ridership yep. in the, the whole system. 
mm-hmm. know, when they when they first enacted those routes, those routes were like slammed every single bus that left College Park. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, there, there was a growing market, mm-hmm. yeah. and we wanted to to showcase that in in a sense that you know it, it puts a call to action to saying, let's consider some more amenities at these bus stops. Let's mm-hmm. consider rebuilding the sidewalk because you look at some of these bus stops they're they're literally poles in the ground right and, that's and, it in some neighborhood kudzu so mm-hmm. you probably can't <laughs> even stand it you can't you cannot yep it is like, weird yeah yeah there are are examples like even yeah like even like before um on memorial drive like during that like really dangerous stretch where a few people were ki- unfortunately killed mm-hmm. you know the yeah. bus stop was at the edge of the road mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. same yeah. thing with beaufort highway I, mm-hmm. i'm glad you know they they were starting to work on beaufort highway because you know again going back to culturally you had some of the most diverse populations that mm-hmm. were crowding the 39. the yep. 39 mm-hmm. i don't think has ever not been the the highest ridden bus route in the MARTA system. Right. But there was also this whole point of people trying to cross six lanes of traffic. I was one of them. And on these (laughs) hills, and on these hills, because you've seen Beaufort Highway, it's hilly. Mm -hmm. And you know, the line of sight doesn't match up with people trying to cross the street, and especially if you're trying to cross with children. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we we really wanted to bring projects like that to kind of show the awareness of the inequities, but Mm -hmm. also bring people in to show how we can fix it. Right. I always said, yeah. and especially before we started Marta Army, I want to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love transit, and you know, when I discovered it, and when I was an undergrad at Georgia State, I thought it was amazing. Like I didn't mm-hmm. drive my car for the good bit of maybe the the first half of like before I had to give it up because it couldn't take these hills. Mm-hmm. But it was just so amazing, like just parking it and taking the train in, and knowing that you could take it back. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're ready, yeah. it right. was just yeah. this more this this availability of it being there. Mm. That's what yeah. to me buying a house on the train line because I know it's there and I know I can take multiple services to get to where I need to go. Like yeah. from my door to the airport is thirty minutes flat. Mm-hmm. My oh, door wow. to Lenox is five minutes flat. Mm-hmm. Most people yep. don't realize that because if you haven't explored it and you haven't gotten around to learn what's along there. You may find some of your favorite bars are along some of these transit lines, but you're getting three DUIs. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's psychological. You got to think it, you know, if it's out of sight, out of mind, if you don't know it's there, yeah. exactly. you won't ride it. Right, exactly. right, right, right. It, it's the micro mobility conversation. And I was, and that's what that first micro mobility and last mile, first mile connectivity is something that has been it dropped a ball upon in a lot of places. And I know in Georgia, it is bad bad outside of maybe like midtown buckhead and maybe parts of downtown atlanta a little bit around downtown decatur um like i think about west end martyr station i remember utilizing that when i lived down there in the past and that first mile last mile connectivity around there was whew, it was mm-hmm. sad and it has an urban it has an urban framework but yeah. it's like it's just so and I'm sitting here like, how are you only maybe like th- two, three miles from the southern edge of downtown Atlanta and you can't even walk a block without fearing for somebody running you over? Like, this is kind of odd. And I was like, this is this is something that I think as transit professionals, whether we're on the advocacy side, the planning side, implementation, we have to 
like Bakari said, put the psychology of who's utilizing this in perspective. Mm -hmm. If if we're not putting that in perspective, you can have the I think a I'll use a textbook example: Tyson's Corner, Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, Silver Line Station. Yeah. Those are pretty stations. Who the hell about to cross uh, um, them, them big super streets? Mm -hmm. Massive streets. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. That's true. I, I And, you know, this is... And one thing I, I, I want to leave our audience with today is, you know, if they are interested in transit or if they ride transit and they want to have more grassroots involvement, how to get involved in your organization, um, Bakari. And we can talk about that at the end because I think we do need more grassroots support um, for transit. I It makes me sad when I visit somewhere else and they have transit and I come back here and I'm like, oh, my God. So because yeah. I live on the <laughs> south side. Um and, you know, my sister-in-law takes the uh, bus to College Park Station, and she has to cross Roosevelt Highway to get on the, uh, is it the 172, 171? I can't remember. But anyway, it is truck traffic, and the um, bus stop is right adjacent to the CXX rail line. So it's not, um, and they have a high ridership on that route. And so it's not very safe. Um, and it's um, dangerous. So now what she does, instead of taking the bus, she takes Uber to our, from our house to the College Park Station. That's $10 yeah. each way, right? And the other thing that I want to mention that, so not having transit and then the uh, inequities in income in Atlanta is has a, having a ripple effect. Uh, one, we have a new neighbor, and she just bought a house. And the houses over here are brick ranches, so they got about five bedrooms, right? So they're long and, and got a lot of stuff in them, right? A lot of room, about 2,000 square nice. feet. She did not buy that house nice. for a, a family, okay? These houses are 1960, okay? So she didn't buy the house for a family. She bought the house to rent it out to parolees, people that have been oh, released wow. from prison, right? And that in itself is wrong because she's in the wrong zoning area for mm. that. Two, the parolees have been complaining to my, my neighbor that they've been quitting jobs, right? Because they spend so much money. First of all, they had to unlearn what Uber was. These are men that have been incarcerated for at least a decade. They didn't yeah. know what Uber was, yeah. right? And Uber was taking all of their money because the, the, the last mile connection is so bad on the south side. You know what I mean? And that's one problem. But the problem is she bought this house for about $275,000, right? That was going to be cheaper than any multifamily that she could have purchased around a MARTA station. Can I get yeah. an amen? Yes. Amen. That, that, so it's yeah. not only, if, I'm sure she probably would have preferred to buy a multifamily, one that already was divvied up properly. No, what she has to do is go into a single family neighborhood and uh, chop up doors because she's mm. charging these guys $800 a month to stay out to for stay a for a room, room within, yeah. yeah for a mm -hmm. room so what the the thing that i i'm looking at like when i worked in los angeles the reason why they were able to implement transit so easily is a they're on the grid b they yeah. kept their rail lines they kept their existing streetcar rail lines right and they that kept hard. ownership mm -hmm. of them that's, that's huge that, that is huge. huge and it so, is so sad because we had that here we had that here so what yeah. can atlanta do now and one of the things and i might be off jason because you're in city government right now but one of the things that i think needs to happen as we gentrify the whole damn city 
the city and the county, the Fulton County, DeKalb County, they need to be, become a lot more aggressive with land banking. If you know something is going to be hot and you know it's near transit, land bank it. If you know yeah. something is near transit and it might even be in a floodplain, land bank it. One thing yeah. that I've noticed about school districts, they're good about land banking, right? Mm. They're good about taking land that might not be useful to other uses and taking it. It might Most schools if you haven't noticed, are in a floodplain. There's something wrong with them. So usually in Fulton County or a city of Atlanta, you have a school, you have a floodplain, and a park. They all work together. You see what I'm saying? And so I would love for the city in Fulton County, even DeKalb County, to come in and start land banking some of these areas, especially areas that are in industrial areas. I mean, that's what colleges are doing. They land bank. They buy stuff. They might develop it. They might ground lease it. And then when Mm -hmm. they want to use it for what they want to use it for in 99 years, then they do Mm -hmm. that. There needs to be a lot more land banking around these martyr stations. And I'm afraid it might be too late, but maybe some of the outer stations land bank them. Take Mm -hmm. it because we're not building any new transit anytime soon. Uh, I don't see us built not heavy, heavy light rail, rail yeah. transit, rail transit. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't see it in 20 years because if yeah. it was in 20, 15, 20 years, we would be further along in environmental on something. Right. right. And so I, I think land banking needs to take it needs to ha- play a bigger role also to kind of stave off some of this gentrification. You know what I mean? Yeah. So because that yeah. in itself, what we're seeing in Atlanta is that. Now people are gentrifying industrial areas because mm-hmm. of the Beltline. And mm-hmm. they and it, it, it still doesn't have a transit network. So nope. you're drawing in people that are choice riders that don't have to use transit, right? But they're closer to the city than somebody might be in, like, Cobb. They're closer to the city than somebody might be in, like, Clayton. You see what yeah. I'm saying? And so we don't, we're not land banking. We're not thinking forward enough to say, hey, at least land bank it. If you don't save it for transit, save it for industrial uses. Because somebody's going to need an industrial use and you're going to want to tax them because you're going to want that tax space. I just don't think that there's a forward thinking. Right. Yeah. You know, that's, you know, that's the issue. We, we, re- we don't have enough <laughs> yeah. forward thinking Reactions. to say we've had enough examples of how gentrification works. We've had enough example of how industrial uses get pushed out of the city and you don't have a tax base. We have mm-hmm. enough examples of land uses that change and is not for the betterment of everybody right and so that's just Mm -hmm. that's just my sticking point i I don't think we save enough land for our own social network purposes you know exactly yeah and i think atlanta's atlanta's leadership needs to probably i know this is gonna probably make them wince if some of them are listening (laughs) they need to take a trip up to visit charlotte because charlotte is doing those exact things charlotte ironically has land banked a lot of land around the blue line they have a a joint city county Mm -hmm. housing trust Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they build affordable housing in key areas Mm -hmm. of the city sometimes within reach of the transit sometimes just in areas that do not have affordable housing Mm -hmm. and they and they rezone it there's a lot of proactive rezonings that occur Mm -hmm. it's like and it's funny because i i sometimes read these little these little group conversations sometimes on some of these like social media um apps and some of the planners have actually admitted they've realized charlotte has actually increased its density faster than atlanta did in a shorter amount of time Mm -hmm. with 
the same yeah. with fewer resources and the yeah. reason why is because they consult charlotte has done a better job of consolidating its density and land banking around rail and transit mm -hmm. i mean its bus network needs work don't get me wrong that's a another conversation for another time if y'all want me to come back and talk about it, i'll definitely explain to y'all but um right when it comes to rail and fixed route transit they have created density in that land banking like there's a whole area like south of the downtown area that's literally has a cluster of affordable affordable mm -hmm. housing um developments that are like coming up online and they're they're trying their best to make sure those are built the way they supposed to be built like the the uh the housing authority which up here which is called in Libyan, it used to be called charlotte housing authority now it uses that name they own those parcels and they are building affordable housing adjacent to transit so maybe atlanta leadership needs to try to look at its peer up this way and see how you can effectively do joint agreements because it's a mm -hmm. city county thing and the city and the county here do butt heads regardless of what people think it comes off like they're consolidated it's not consolidated here they butt heads or a lot of strange mm -hmm. things um mm -hmm. and atlanta could learn so much about how social equity can be incorporated into that transportation planning in a way that holistically will help everybody it'll not it'll check off the box of last mile first mile connectivity because you if you build this affordable housing and these needed components of equity near transit all you got to do then is just build a complete street that actually has those traffic calming measures to protect these people whether it's a raised right. crosswalk whether it's it's a mid-block crossing that actually has those flashing lights that will distract people to stop it is it's so many things that you can do that i think that can be learned from other places but yeah this hyper capitalism with transit because i one of my closing things i did with my masters was in my synthesis a case study on like different public transit authorities across the country that had real components and I remember one of the main things in one of the literature pieces of literature that I did in that literary review was Marta from the impotence was a real estate holding company for certain areas around the stations and it admitted that in those 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 interviews that were part of my literary review and I'm like you going all the way back to the 60s you intended on sitting on this land but instead of them leasing it they just sold it to <laughs> people who don't want to do affordable housing mm -hmm. and so it's kind of sad to see that 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 has that horse has left the barn and nobody can afford to live in housing around heavy rail right because right it shouldn't be like that. it shouldn't be like that i have um most of my colleagues, it's only seven of us, I'd say four of them live in Decatur, uh, walking <laughs> distance to the Decatur train station, and they never use transit. They all drive. So that's what we're coming to. That's what we're coming to. We're coming to a transit investment and an infrastructure investment that's surrounded by people that don't use it. Therefore, you decrease the validity of transit because then you decrease ridership because then people can't get to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So how far you got to come from a bus to get to that train station because you can't live around the train station. It's really sad. It's those, really, really sad. 
do, do they indicate why they don't use transit? Oh, it's that stupid, I don't want to transfer at five points because people look weird. It's the, okay. the transfer yeah. penalty that yeah. FTA imposes is it is a necessary penalty for people to understand that sometimes a T system is not mm -hmm. the system you want. OK, right. Uh -huh. right. you want I don't know whether you want to do a spoke, whether you want to do um, uh, a 90 degree system based on your um, uh, your street network. But mm -hmm. uh, the T or system. Multi. Yeah. yeah. Multi nodes. Or multi nodal. Some, yes. Yeah. But, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, no, go to, ahead. to interrupt, but, you know, you just brought to mind that that was one of the drivers, as I recall, around the Clifton Corridor was because it was one of the first lines that was not humming into the central part of town, mm -hmm. right? It was creating a, a, a bypass mm -hmm. option. Mm -hmm. And I remember this conversation coming about in Houston when their rail system that's now, you know, been implemented and they got some new lines being planned they went through the same kind of machinations and struggled to figure out, well, should we kind of go with the more classic, you know, centralized focus? And ultimately, they moved away from that. So if you look at the network now, it's it has a multinodal kind of setup and it's, you know, and it's looking at and it's multimodal as well. So BRT, LRT, but they're developing it in such a way that it's it's hubbing into multiple sites right it's not mm -hmm. all focused on say a downtown centralized hub and i think this was reflective of thinking that became more prominent in cities that went forward with their rail system planning later than say um atlanta and some of the other cities that were part of that original kind of um those original cities that were part of those those uh grant programs in the 60s and 70s when those planning efforts took off. So I think that we kind of got into a, I think a central question too, um, which is that, you know, cities play a really important role in the effectiveness of transit ultimately. Mm -hmm. And thinking about what can cities, and Jarrell, you were just hint, you were just, you know, mentioning some of these ideas too. What are mm -hmm. ways that cities can do a better job of actually supporting the, the ability of a high capacity transit option mm -hmm. to actually function. I think so many people, and I have, I often, when I'm talking to folks in the community, I think a lot of people think it's all about the transit agency. And what I try to help people understand is that most of the, those kinds of decisions, well, not most, actually all of those decisions around land use, the transit agency has zero ability to do anything about that except for the property that they own, mm -hmm. quote unquote own. Or you know that's under that uh, that's under the auspices of their control. I guess is a better mm -hmm. way to put it. They don't own anything per se. But correct. So, but the rest of the what's going on the street network that's the local government. Let's see the city of Atlanta, Decatur, Charlotte, Houston, mm -hmm. whatever city it is, mm -hmm. or it's the it's the county or it's the D, the state DOT. Mm -hmm. Those are the entities that control. And, you know, when I, I try to let people know that it's like, hey, when you have concerns about how the right of way is configured, yeah, you can voice those concerns to MARTA or the transit agency, whichever, it, you know, whatever the case may be, that's fine. But you need to make sure you're holding everybody accountable that's in control of the land use and the right of way, because most of that is not under the transit agency's control. Mm -hmm. So if you have a concern about, if you're, so like, for those who are listening, 
who may be from the Atlanta area or familiar with this area, I-20 East is another major corridor mm. that's been talked about for years, just like some of the other corridors mm. that we were talking about earlier. Why is that not moving forward? Chad. That corridor is under GDOT's control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if GDOT is... Well, who, who's control? Yeah. GDOT. That's, that's right. So if you if people are you know coming it down to MARTA and you know pounding the table, which is fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't hold everybody accountable. That's you should. But who owns and controls the space where it's going to mm-hmm. go is where exactly. the decision ultimately is going to be made. Right. They're the ones who hold the cars. It's DeKalb County and the state of Georgia. And GDOT equals the governor's office, right. pretty much. Okay. Yeah, it's a cabinet level position. Yeah. And this is what's hilarious about the whole situation going back to the Clifton Corridor. The only mm-hmm. reason why Emory got annexed into the city of Atlanta was because of the Clifton Corridor. They thought they could jetson the Clifton Corridor by annexing that huge pro- project. And the irony was, I was the, the, the staff planner who was responsible for most of the annexation stuff. And I actually did that in 2017. And it's hilariously crazy how I remember those conversations. Oh, we're going to get the Clifton Corridor jets and forward. They did everything. And here we are in 2022, yeah. five years later, ain't nothing occurred. Matter of fact, it's downgraded. Right. So yeah, nobody's I holding mean, the city responsible. And, you know, and I, and I think that that's, that's part of this dilemma that I think we, we find ourselves and we think about transit is that there there's a lot of decision making that isn't as obvious as it may appear i think so many people want you know they're focused on the transit agency because they're the project sponsor but there's all these other wheels that have to turn that actually have to line up properly to enable a project like that to go forward the city government has to be on aligned if the corridor is running adjacent to a a freight control corridor like CSX or Norfolk Southern, well, that gives them a lot of power. They can veto the project, not necessarily even if they're not even intending to do it, but if they don't want to share their right of way, they don't have to. That part. Right. There's that piece, right? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to let you finish. Um, The state of Georgia, I think one thing in the interim, and I hope that Stacey Abrams is able to get elected, is the state of Georgia needs to do is take a note from Virginia and North Carolina by these railroad right of ways. Absolutely. That's mm-hmm. because yes. the, the one bargaining chip that works in those two southern states that people don't realize Norfolk yep. Southern right now has been in this ongoing extension over the North Carolina Railroad between yep. Charlotte and, and Raleigh. Raleigh. Yep. And that is in the, the the agreement that 99 year lease expired probably like four or five years ago and it's been these little extensions lease mm-hmm. extensions that the state has granted to norfolk southern but norfolk southern is like well we're holding on to certain other right-of-ways including the red line is one of them because if that if the negotiations fall through we, we we'll have that to fall back on but guess what it gives you as a consumer or as a citizen at the state having a bargaining chip to force Norfolk Southern or CSX or or any of the B um what is it B N F S the other railroad yeah yeah mm-hmm. BNFS come to the table and negotiate getting these projects implemented because when you as a state 
hold on to these right-of-ways that are railroad on, you can force the governor by lobbying them to make stuff happen, make these conversations start to move forward. That's how that's how Virginia was able to get its its uh its VRE mm-hmm. going yep. down from DC. Yep. It's like even though um like even though people sit there and try to say oh it's not efficient it's better than it's better than what you don't have i mean at least you have a method i mean there's always going to be room for improvement but it's sometimes it's better for a state to own these pieces of property like here in north carolina they have an actual agreement with amtrak where you can ride a train from charlotte to raleigh at least three to right mm-hmm. now it's three but when up to its peak it was supposed to be six trips yep. a day and that lets you know that it can be done in the south absolutely people, absolutely people just don't think about these things and that's why i sit there and say it's like we have to start thinking inside as well as outside the box think of what's exactly. already in the two box but also come up with some innovative ways to get to bring those ideas and implement those things in that toolbox because it should not you should not be 2022 the only way you have an air quote express commuter way around metropolitan atlanta is the greta slash atl express Mm -hmm. that is sad (laughs) that is like (laughs) well we that is (laughs) the structure is such that that's the easiest thing to do and so that's what that's what you end up with right you end up falling back on what's the the easiest Mm -hmm. thing to get through the system and that's kind of why I think we've been stuck kind of Mm -hmm. in this spot for such a long time Mm -hmm. but you really highlighted something I'm glad we got to really quickly is that the North Carolina relationship with Amtrak and Mm -hmm. the freight operators is really a powerful insight into some strategies that other states can use particularly Georgia because Mm -hmm. the interesting thing about Georgia this is not really discussed that openly and I'm probably I'm I imagine there's some reasons why is that the state of Georgia actually does own a lot of track miles and Mm -hmm. leases those track miles out to the freight operators Mm -hmm. because they because there's a and there's a financial incentive for that right they're getting the state is getting paid they're getting money out of that so I think if people understood that more, they wouldn't buy this argument that gets sold to the public all the time about how transit is so expensive. Yes, it is expensive, but it doesn't have to be so prohibitively expensive that it can't get done. I mean, we're we're, we're not accepting we're accepting that narrative without mm-hmm. questioning it because we don't because I think our communities aren't empowered to understand that there are other options, North Carolina and Florida, with all the crazy stuff going on down in Florida. One thing that they do have, they got some train stuff going on down there. Mm-hmm. And that's because yes, they're using their infrastructure to get what they want. Mm-hmm. And and it's moving forward. So it, it, it can be done. And I, I, I really was fascinated by the North Carolina experience when I lived up there. I was using it to run back and forth between Durham and Raleigh you can practically use it like a commuter train and it's mm-hmm. great and a lot of mm-hmm. people you know outside of that area people just don't even know that there's such a thing that's even possible but in that area it's people mm-hmm. love it and it works mm-hmm. and it's you know cost competitive right it's cheaper than burning up all that gas going back and forth right oh, yeah. right right so bakari i do want to ask you since you work grassroots and you're kind of looking at marta you've been fighting 
for Marta, you, you and your supporters. What, um, what would you want? What do you think the key is to moving forward? What would you want Marta to do other than like do what they're supposed to do, right? But what do you think? <laughs> what do you think the hold up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, give me your insight on that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself, Marta. But. Jarrell um, <laughs> <laughs> touched on something about a lot of the politicians, a lot of the, the leaders in this going to other cities and just other peer cities and seeing what they're doing. The ARC does that with the link trips. And they've been to a lot of these cities mm-hmm. that have done mm-hmm. this. And most recently, they just left Austin. I was about to say putting Austin, $7 yeah. billion into yep. their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yep. I need for Marta to look at something larger than just their main purpose. Mm-hmm. I need for them to look at themselves as an engine mm-hmm. for transit, not only in the region, but the state. You know, there, there's a lot of articles that are priming Atlanta to be a new Amtrak hub with the infrastructure bill and Amtrak putting all this money into, into expansions and to putting more service out. That's going to open up lines similar to what North Carolina looks like with going from Atlanta to Savannah opening up something that we've never had since the 60s and just looking at that and just kind of we're going to to make this leap into making ourselves look good for Augusta and for Macon and for Columbus so that we can be a connected state it's all going to come down to that because the the governor and the the whole the whole legislature are going to try to to continue to bring in this business but not figuring out how to get that return on investment for the for the infrastructure i think we need to start doing that because like was mentioned before all these states have taken control of it maryland new jersey all these states are working together with amtrak they're working together and sharing the right of way with these freight companies Mm-hmm. That, that we need to start getting that conversation on how we can look on that and how we can develop those. If we want to develop these nodes, let's develop them into places where we can build this not only nine to five experience, but we can build this experience for people that works the second and third shift or people. But from a grassroots perspective, we want organizations like those to, to really speak up for themselves. We need to make sure that they're um, they're at the general assembly every every winter and going to bat for themselves. We need to make sure that they're going to the feds and applying for these grants. I don't. I didn't really hear any chatter this this time around about anything that were anything Georgia was putting in that was of substantial improvement to the infrastructure. Child. That's troubling. That's yeah. Troubling. We ain't ready. Ain't got a yeah. lick of report no, ready. ready. We've been ready, like, and it's just you got to look at places with subways. Subways are not; a, they're not they're huge oversight that I don't even think a lot of planners look at. Is just you know yeah. how much it costs to not only build but operate these yeah. facilities, and yeah. especially when it was it came time in twenty twenty when Gwinnett was on the ballot for yeah. for extending their transit, and everybody thought it was going to be Marta, but it was more complicated than that. But everybody was. Uh, they they bought into these fear tactics, but there also wasn't a lot of promotion for it as well. And Gwinnett County bought a piece of land that was primed for a transit hub. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that should have been that should have been spread amongst the county. And I think that's where grassroots come into place is that we're the voice for people and for things that you may not see. And it's we we have to be able to speak this language and be able to speak it to everyone. 
and look at everyone having the benefit and getting them to see the, the yellow brick road that the, that has been planned out. You know, they could, like Gwinnett could have really been ahead of the game and especially regionally if they would have passed that because if Marta, if the the gold line would have been extended uh, to that piece of land off Jimmy Carter that they per- that Gwinnett County purchased. Uh, Think of how much that would have done for that area. Uh, Think of how much that would have done. And you're talking about the second largest county in the state. Not a sitting in traffic. Not a sitting in traffic. And you also have to look right. And you also have to look at the demographics of this. Like demographically you have to look at Gwinnett County of also having the largest school district in the state. Mm-hmm. So you have yep. a lot of young folks who are also in within this generation are choosing not to get their driver's license. Yep. You have also have a large aging population that can't move. Yep. So combining those together, you have those forces and that's who a lot of, of folks are within these grassroots organizations. They're either folks who are aging or they're, or they're young folks because they care about this. They want this to pass. So if you teach them early and you teach them how to write an op-ed, how to talk and know who your representatives are and how to talk this talk in the face of all these folks who have literally just been doing it by the book and doing the status quo for years, then you can possibly have some change for it. And we have many groups here. You know, shout out to Advance Atlanta. Shout out to uh, Kyle for Transit. Shout out to um, uh, uh, Marta Army. Yeah, but there's, there's a lot of groups here, like even um, Georgia Stand Up in partnership with Southern Equity. They've done mm-hmm. transit work, you know, and they do it from so many different angles, whether it's geographically or whether it's through a racial justice lens. There's right. so many. It needs to to have open arms for that, um, because, yeah. you know, a lot of other transit agencies would shun them away. Look what happened in Philly. Philly's trying to, to get a lost subway plan extension that was been that's been put in the book since the early 20th century and now yeah. that the infrastructure money is going around and states are wondering what to spend with it now they're putting that back into notion and that also is similar to what Beaufort Highway is it's another dangerous stretch of road 12 lanes across and they once had subway plans but were destroyed and just shelved mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and, and it's up to advocates to really you know voice these and put these back into the hands of these folks uh, and for their case, especially so they won't build that real king of Prussian. But that's another story. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah, I heard. But about yeah, that. they really, they really gotta. Yeah, Marta's really gotta listen to the the people. And I think this is, you know, indicative of a bigger issue is you know customer service. You know, who is really gonna answer the phone when the riders? There's some reactionary tale of, well, we have to go scrape up somebody off the rails because this happened or you know someone was killed crossing the road because there were no preferential treatments for pedestrians you know it, it's a ripple effect right 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 does your organization have any um connection or relationship with stacy abrams uh campaign not directly i mean that's something that we want to have and i think it's difficult because a lot of um nonprofits and especially 501c3s don't really have a lot of political power mm. or things that they could do. Mm. Something that we have been toying around with is trying to form a, a an urbanist pack. Um, and that would give us a little bit more to move in as far as the political spaces. But mm. you know, we want to be able to do so on the back end that would allow folks to just kind of learn about the transit system and be able to empower themselves. And that's essentially what's in our mission is you know empowering people 
to better the transit system. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to put the power in your hands so that you can make an informed decision on how to, what projects to put forward or, you know, how to think about this. You know, when we hosted our book club last year, we were reading along of, of Jared Walker's book. You know, we were reading along of Stephen Higashide's book. We were learning about how different agencies work around the country. And I think that's yeah. good to, to, yeah. to get people to try to learn about something they should have learned in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And I always oh, say yeah. start with the babies. Start with the yep. babies. Yeah. Start them young. Yep, start them young because the yeah. adults are stupid. So, you know, start <laughs> with the babies. Start with people the babies. Get, people yeah. get set in their ways. One other quick question, too, for all of y'all is, you know, what a, uh, you know, kind of circling back to like local governments, what should cities in particular, from y'all's point of view, be doing to help support, you know, these kinds of services that we know are needed, but have so, so, so much head, headwind? Contextualize that a little bit further. Give me an example and I can answer that. Yeah, so like I'll give you a, a real concrete example. So we were talking, like some of the corridors we talked about earlier, like Campbellton and the Summer Hill mm-hmm. Corridor and so on and so forth, like Clifton Corridor and Beltline. Mm-hmm. There's, there's mm-hmm. another one. You know, the local governments are controlling of the land uses, right, through the zoning mm-hmm. policies. We mm-hmm. have zoning, I mean, this is something that we're doing as part of our staff, trying to make sure we're combing some of these issues out ourselves mm-hmm. and flagging them for improvement. But we've discovered all kinds of artifacts in our zoning code that actually make it harder to support transit. Like there's a reason yeah. why some areas don't have bus shelters and it's not just because the transit agency has a funding shortfall. There's actually codes on the books that yeah. make it such that some zoning districts don't are not enabled to have bus shelters. And those got put on the books who knows, decades ago when people yeah. had certain perspectives about, quote unquote, who's riding the bus mm. and they want them there. And that's the kind of thing we're finding out. We found all kinds of weird things about, oh, we can only have X number. Like uh, there used to be a cap until recently on the actual total number of bus shelters we could have in the entire city. And it's like, who in the world put that in there? Like, yeah. who's, and anyway, who's actually out there counting it anyway? It's not like there's a record. so. And so it's that kind of like that kind of stuff. But those are just some specific examples. But even broader than that, when we think about like back to your point, Tamika, about housing policy, Mm -hmm. right, that drives a lot of what's possible to do Mm -hmm. around the station. Right. If we're not going to allow certain kinds of land use intensity and let's be honest, sometimes it's not because there isn't an awareness of it. There is a there is an element in the community that doesn't want to see land use intensity. Oh, increase, yes. Right. So yeah. it's you know, so you, there's the politics of that. And it's like I always feel like it's part of what I hope we can do is empower the the community and those who do support doing things differently to understand why they why stuff is happening yeah. so that they can hold their leadership accountable. But also want to understand like are there other things that that governments can can do to help support the kinds of changes that we want to see because a lot of this stuff is on this is got to be done on a municipal side like by statute Mm -hmm. the transit agency just there's some things it just can't do correct right i will sit here and say since i'm 
I've done regulatory in Georgia, and I, I, I don't do regulatory here in mm-hmm. North Carolina, thank God. Um, mm-hmm. But I do know what is what has what both places have taught me and could be done. Mm-hmm. Atlanta needs to hurry up and finish redoing its uh, zoning code and development code. I mm-hmm. remember this has been an ongoing 10-year process. Yes. Even though I have only been up here in North Carolina a little bit over, well, almost, I would say it's no longer a little bit under, it's almost three years now. They have been working on their development code for the city of Charlotte for approximately five years, and they're pretty much about to be done with it mm-hmm. before the end of this year. They yep. started it in 2017. Here we are in 2022. They have a new policy map for future land uses. They are about to adopt a brand new UDO that has TOD written in it. City of Atlanta has to, so to answer your question is, it can be done. The city of Atlanta avoids trying to do holistic moratoriums because they're afraid they may miss out on something. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was working the city of Atlanta, that was the common offline conversation. Moratoriums are not done. Only moratoriums we do is segmented in small sub areas. And it's like, yep. you need to go on and redo your, your municipal zoning or development code, whatever the heck they want to call it, because they're still operating on the, off of the 1982 municipal yep. zoning yep. code. Right. And here it is 40 years later, you're telling me after four, you working on a 40 year Euclidean zoning code. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that is quote unquote positive about it is the SPI districts. And for people who are listening, SPI stands for special public interest. It is a TOD-esque zoning Mm -hmm. district that was introduced into the atlanta zoning code in the late 80s early 90s and there's approximately 27 in the city of atlanta present day um i worked on creating two of them while i was there um and they that is the closest they've gotten to flexible zoning Mm -hmm. but here's the twisted thing when they did these little recent zoning updates and i noticed for 20 back in 2018 they started putting regulatory holdups and obstacles even in those SPIs because the SPIs used to be basically administrative. You had to go through the CIDs in the state the, the uh, region and the CIDs are the community improvement districts and for those who are not in Georgia it's the same as a business improvement district and in North Carolina they call municipal service districts. Um, they they all it was an administrative variation or variance that could easily be done in SPI but in the 2018 redo, they added some more obstacles. So the city of Atlanta needs to take these obstacles out, mm-hmm. make it easier for flexible, smart, flexible form-based use, a hybridization of form-based slash smart growth development code and stop trying to appease NIMBYs. I get NIMBYs, NIMBYs have a purpose, but don't bend the, the, the whole structure to keep them from acting a fool because you're while you're bending the, to help to appease them you're hurting the, the 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 overall form of creating more streets or spaces for everyone and not just cars right. and that's that's where the city of atlanta or any city needs to learn and i i think being in a place where I'm at right now, Charlotte has at least done that because the former planning director 
he he made sure that was embodied in that living document known as the UDL. His name is Tawo Jaioba. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He he made sure that was embodied in that living document in the city of yeah. Charlotte. And the current planning director, Allison, um, Allison, she she's carrying that torch on. It's like she's making sure that torch is creating spaces for everyone, those public spaces. And that's what the city of Atlanta needs to do under its leadership, create spaces for everyone. They kind of did it with Broad Street in downtown Atlanta by yeah. shutting it off from, from automobile traffic. Replicate that across the city. It's like, I know people are afraid to quote unquote close streets or restrict streets because they want free flowing traffic. But you, we're now at a point now where you need to start creating senses of places. Transit can be done for everybody, and, and if not just transit, scooters, bicycles, whatever, mopeds, mm-hmm. whatever mopeds. Yep. yep, yep, I agree, I agree. I, oh, I need to get off Facebook. Some of Whitney Williams just popped up. She looking bad, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all, I was trying to look at transit topics and she came up, I was like, ooh, let me turn this. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That is so <laughs> off topic. I'm so sorry. Um, we are at uh, we are well over you know an hour here. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to uh, close it out uh, unless anybody else has any uh, comments. But Bakari, I wanted to ask um, you know how could people join uh, you know the Marta Army? Um, if in in Jarrell, how can people find you? Um, that would be good for our audience to know. I'm actually going to uh, when I post this on Instagram, I'm going mm-hmm. to link the episode to your organizations where people can find you if they want more information uh, about the Modern Army, about what's happening and happening in Charlotte. So possibly, you know, the people that listen can feel a little bit more positive about uh, transit in Atlanta. So mm-hmm. I'll let you go be- first, Bakari. Where can people find you, join Marta Army? We're Marta Army at everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, You can also go to www.martaarmy.org to look at all of our projects and to see what projects we're doing next. Um, I'll also be hosting Transit Equity Day 2023. Um, If you'd like more information on that, you can go to www.labor4sustainability.org. Um, I do a lot of great projects and a lot of connecting um, with different transit organizations from around the country, and we do a lot of uh, learning about transit, Um, a lot of fare-free transit panels, a lot of EV technology, so anything you want to learn about getting into organizing and getting into grassroots, you can learn it from there, but yes, go follow us. Thank you. And you, Jarrell? So... I'm gonna promote my uh, my own personal uh, stuff. You can I post a lot on Twitter. My Twitter is at j a leo two three on Twitter. Um, I also post on Instagram at j a leo two three eight five. Those are the main ways you can follow me. Um, I'm I work with CRTPO. They have a website. Uh, crtpo.org that's my professional um output that covers anything related to like my professional um my personal where the the prior to <laughs> so <laughs> any comments or things were not tied to crtpo <laughs> <laughs> okay well great i just want to extend thanks and i'll let jason speak for himself um Thank you so much for both of you joining our episode. 
Uh, we love and we eat up anything transit related and I want to extend a future invite. Please don't let this be your last time coming on. You can come on anytime, any every episode if you want to because we're really on here just trying to encourage people how to make lives better, right? How to make your quality of life better, whether that's through transit, whether that's through mm-hmm. proper estate planning, whether that's through proper nutrition, whether that's through turning off the TV and reading a book. So, um, yeah, Jason, would you like to end it with any comments? Oh, just to add on to what you what you were just saying, uh, Tamika, just really appreciate you all being on this this afternoon and um, just really appreciate your, your insights in particular. It's just so helpful and interesting to hear different perspectives. So thank you all for being here and look forward to having you on again. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Hopefully first of many. Have a great yes. day. Yeah, and <laughs> thank you all for listening. We appreciate your support. Bye. 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 This train is bound Creek Station.